0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with Bell, a returned survivor about nonlinear healing, being told to get over it, addiction, creative outlets, and reclaiming what made you happy. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have the return of Belle. How are you?
1: I'm really good. It's so good to speak with you again.
0: So if you want to be a guest like Belle is today and was a long time ago in August of 2020, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. When you read all of the instructions there, please do read all of the instructions. Send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button and please do send it in the format that we ask for. And Belle was our guest, as I mentioned, in August of 2020, and you learned a lot since then, and you were kind of stuck in the situation that you were in and not really realizing it. So I'm happy that you're here today to talk about nonlinear healing and moving through your trauma. I just really want to thank you uh, for being here because it's not easy doing the show originally, and it's not easy coming back, but I know that you really wanted to help people once again, especially in the healing aspect of things. So I really want to thank you for being Being here, I know it's going to help a lot of people because healing is really not a one-size-fits-all process. So, Bell, thank you for being here a second time. And the floor is now yours.
1: Yeah, well, thank you again. And you pretty much said it. When you and I spoke and we recorded my episode, to me, I was I was doing pretty well. I felt like I had done a lot of healing and that, um, you know, I had moved through I know I hate the I hate the phrase moved past something or gotten over something. I think that's very negative. But I was moving through a lot of the things that had happened to me. And I felt like that I had moved through quite a bit. And you know, hindsight from today, looking back to then, I, I think I told you when we were chatting that I actually re-listened to my episode last night. And, you know, what struck me was that I could still hear so much uh, pain and so much sadness uh, in my voice. And I realized that from then to today, so much more has changed and so much more has become better. And my life today, every day, it just gets better and better every day that I'm away from him every day that I don't have any I'm completely and totally no contact he's he's blocked on every every arena and aspect that he could get a hold of me he's been blocked and I feel free today then he still had a hold of uh, on me You yeah, know, he still had He still had a a grip. There was still tentacles (laughs) that he had that I don't think I really realized that he had because he still had power over my emotions. And I really think that that's one of the biggest differences between uh, when I recorded that and today is is then he still had power and today he has none. And that is uh, the greatest freedom I've ever experienced. And just to kind of remind people if they are trying to remember which story was mine my my ex-hole as i lovingly call him was is a narcissist a covert malignant narcissist he also is a felon and for part of our relationship he was incarcerated and so You know, there was a lot going on there. There was a lot that happened in the time that we were together after we got married is when the devaluation began in earnest. I'm also a psychotherapist. I practice in the field of addiction and trauma recovery. I primarily work with adolescents, but I also work with families and, and, you know, a lot of the adolescents that I work with have been subjected to narcissistic abuse, narcissistic parents, that kind of thing. So, you know, it is kind of, kind of in my wheelhouse, but, but not really, but even with having all that knowledge, I still was completely fooled by him. And, you know, after, after the, the marriage happened and he believed he had me locked down is when, like I said, the devaluation really began. And so I went through about five years of extreme devaluation and him saying things to me like, I I must be a terrible therapist because I, I couldn't fix him because I wasn't fixing him. And so, you know, he undermined me at every turn. He undermined me about my physical appearance, my ability to be in the profession that I've chosen, you know, my ability as a parent, my ability as a wife. And I don't think that I really realized fully how deeply rooted those things were in me. And how deep those tentacles of self-doubt and pain were rooted until probably the last month or so with my therapist, actually, we've been exploring a lot of those things. And I feel like today, a lot of that has been, I've been freed from that. And a lot of that's been released. But, you know, getting there isn't easy. And it's a super painful process. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of wanted to to talk about as well that I've experienced, I don't know, I want to imagine other people have experienced this as well. But when you're coming out of a relationship and a long term marriage like I was with with a narc, you know, people want you to get over it real quick and they get tired of you talking about what happened They get tired of you talking about the trauma. They get tired of hearing you say, well, this happened or happened or memories coming up or, you know, they they get tired of it and they don't want to hear it anymore. And it's really that was a really hard thing for me. Was when the people I loved, you could tell that they were getting tired of me talking, continuing to talk this through with them, you know, in fact, I was. Uh, just last week was with family, my brother, my sister-in-law, we all went to the beach and had a really great trip and it was a lot of fun. But I was, I was talking about something uh, with my sister-in-law and a friend and I I mentioned something about something that had happened and she said, don't you think it's time for you to move on? And that really kind of hit me hard because I thought, well, what is moving on, for one thing, and if you've never experienced anything like what, what we as survivors have experienced, people don't understand, that's, that's a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. And I kind of, I, I admit, I kind of snapped at her and I said, you know, that's easy for you to say because you've never had to go through the kind of abuse that I've gone through maybe if you had you would understand this is not something that you just move on from it's something that you carry with you and that you have to learn how to live with and it's something that you process you know frequently it's it's something that comes up frequently some something will happen and bring up a memory and you know you can either hold on to that memory or you can talk it through I choose to talk it through and because of that I feel like I've I've gotten a lot healthier and a lot better because I have kind of been like, well, if you don't want to hear about it, that's on you, (laughs) but I'm going to talk this through. Um,
0: So I like to look through things from an addiction lens a lot of the time, and the people who listen to the show know that. And that's part of what you do for a living. And healing is not the same for everybody. Sometimes it's going to take people longer to get from... Uh, Phase to phase, people sometimes just aren't ready for it. So, from the addiction point of view, victims and survivors can be seen as addicts, and addicts need to be held accountable. And part of recovery for addiction is that some people need to go to meetings every single day for the rest of their life sometimes. And you're just being held accountable while you're there. And it's not that you're ruminating about these things and you're fixated on them. They're just still this addiction part of you. And that part has to be acknowledged and it needs to be held in check. So you don't go back to where you once were. And we can keep these things from happening again to keep yourself really just accountable Um, And to kind of just get to a point in your life that you are living the way that you want to live, where you yourself are your higher power. And in the addiction world, I always say, you'll find a higher power. But to me, the higher power is yourself. And that it's your power is not in someone else's hands. You know, and and we're doing all these things so we don't slip back to the way things were before. So is that something you think about from a clinical point of view, you being in this type of field? Uh, Is this the kind of the healthy way to do things? And is this something that you are consciously doing?
1: I think that that is a a spot on question because all the research into narcissistic abuse and narcissistic abuse recovery points to the same process cycle of addiction, your narc and that relationship and the uh, intermittent reinforcement that you get from your narc creates exactly what an addictive cycle looks like. And, you know, I, I do think it's very similar. So if you're say you're withdrawing or you're getting sober from a substance, you have to go through a period of time where you withdraw from that substance, you heal your body and you heal your mind from the impact of that particular substance, right? So you get your foundation laid with that base level of recovery, where you've separated yourself from this thing that's killing you, be it heroin, alcohol, or your narcissistic ex. And recovery is indeed, it's a lifelong process. It's not something, if you don't just like go to treatment for six months, get sober, get some good skills under your belt and toddle on down the way. You have to work on this every single solitary day. For me, it's about reminding myself of where I was and where I never, ever want to go again. And I would, you know, I kind of equate this as well with Al-Anon. Um, you know, I work a lot in the Twelve Steps and on as, as a part of of, of uh, the program that I work in. And so in in Al-Anon, they have the three C's, right? You didn't cu- you didn't cause it, you can't cure it, and you can't control it, right? So I didn't cause my narcissistic ex. I didn't cause his behavior. I didn't cause his actions. I didn't cause the abuse that he heaped upon me. I can't cure his pathology. We we cannot cure these people. And I can't control his behaviors either. I cannot control how he treated me. I can't control the affairs that he had. I can't control how he degraded me. I can't control any of that. The only thing I can control is myself and what I did in response and what I continue to do in response to what happened to me. And so that's really a really great point that you made as far as the recovery process as well. It's not linear. And we relapse, you know, we had good times. We really did have good times. And it's okay for me to remember those good times, but also to not lose sight of the fact that those good times we're very, very tempered. So that shows growth. And I think for me, one of the things that has been super important, and I don't know, I don't know that everybody agrees with this, or follows this line of thought that, that, and so this is what's been good for me, and what's worked for me. I have not dated. I mean, I, I haven't, even attempted to meet somebody or to date or to even think about getting into another relationship. And I don't really know when that's going to happen or, or when I'm going to be ready for that. But giving myself the gift of this time alone, like I'm alone, alone. It's me and my dog, you know, because my kids are all grown and out of the house. But uh, giving myself that time to be completely alone has been one of the greatest gifts uh, I've ever given to myself. And I'm not saying that I'm not lonely because I am lonely, but I also think it's important to remember that lonely won't kill you. And that if you make friends with the loneliness and that you understand that that loneliness is there, it's going to sound strange, but the loneliness is almost there to love you and to remind you that you can do hard things and you can get through hard days and you can do it on your own, and you're going to be okay. You're okay. Uh, So the loneliness, it gets there sometimes, but it's not nearly as bad as it has been, and I've been able to, like, feel, you know, it's really important, too, whenever you're going through something like this and you're going through a healing process, and it's a long-term healing process, is that you reconnect with yourself and you reconnect with the things that you used to love to do that you quit doing because of your narc, I love yoga. Yoga is, I can't state (laughs) how important yoga is in my life. And when I was with my narc, I quit practicing uh, because in the back of my mind, and I had no basis for this, but in the back of my mind, I was worried that the time that I was practicing yoga at my studio, that he was cheating on me. And so I quit going to yoga because I was worried about that. Come to find out, I was, I was right. I was, I was absolutely right. He was choosing the time I was at yoga to cheat on me. So, you know, but my yoga practice has become, it's a daily practice now. And so I've, I've found joy in that I have been, you know, it's, Sounds silly and kind of old lady, but I start, I taught myself how to embroidery. And so now I've got this creative outlet as well that I didn't have before that I missed because I was so focused on him and his needs and walking on eggshells and trying to uh, premeditate his moods and premeditate, you know, what kind of uh, person I was going to find that night. And so I've gotten back into this, this creative part of me, you know, and I'm, I I consider it painting with thread and I love it and it brings me a lot of joy. So that's another part of recovery that can be tied to, you know, addiction and trauma recovery is that you have to find things to fill your time that was previously filled by that relationship and by that person. Because like initially when the ex hole and I split, it felt like I just had this uh, sea of time. And I had no idea what to do with it or how to fill it. And I realized all that time had been consumed with him, just constantly, like I said, just premeditating his moods and his needs. And what am I going to fix him for dinner? And does he want to do this? Or does he want to do that? Or is he going to want to stay home tonight? going You know what I mean? And that was a, that. Actually, I think is a hard adjustment, and not a lot of people really uh, talk about that too. Is that that there are like these massive chunks of time now that aren't that don't have a anything to do. You know, you, you have to find new things to fill that time with. So reexploring like the person that you were before the abuse is critical too. People who know me really, really well lately. I actually walked into my yoga class Monday night and the instructor looked at me and she said, I don't think I've ever seen a person just glow with joy like you are right now. And I realized that she was exactly right, that I have joy in my life now. And before all I had was fear and pain and confusion. And so when all of that left my life... It, it created space for joy to come back into my world. And I guess I'm just saying all of this because I really want the people who are hearing this, who are in the just in the beginning of this or are still feeling that, that intense pain and that intense despair and, the, and that feeling like nothing's ever going to be okay again because I was there. I felt like nothing was going to be okay again, that it will absolutely be okay again. And that, in fact, you're going to look back and you're going to be so grateful for your freedom and it's going to be good.
0: So it is pretty amazing to me to hear you today compared to the last time we spoke, because before recording last time, you had like all these learning lessons you wanted people to have. And we tried recording it with you doing it from the third person And that in itself was a bit of a lesson. There was a big difficulty in separating you from the story and the emotion attached to it. It's just really not an easy thing to do. And then we eventually got here that we are here talking to each other today. So in a way, maybe it was just time that needed to happen. What clicked for you? Uh, in your head like where was the shift the real shift that happened to get you to this point
1: so i have to back up just a, a little bit in time to get to that that shift but my ex narc he he did he really enjoyed the pick me dance and even after we divorced and our divorce was final and he was living with the woman that he had the affair with and eventually did marry, he still had me on the line. You know, he had he had one hand on me and the rest of his body was with her, but he had a hand on me and he was not letting me go. And I didn't have the strength to uh, to separate myself from him. You know, I still had that. I call it smoking the hopium, you know, I had that hopium pipe in my mouth, uh, hoping, you know, hoping that he would uh, come to his senses and realize, you know, that he really did love me. I mean, this is a man who's like with this other woman living with this other woman, planning a life with this other woman, but I still am holding hope out that he'll come back And he kept me on the line like that until I found out he married her. And the day that he married her, he actually texted me. And I did not know he was marrying her that day. He texted me that day and said, told me how much he missed me and how much he missed our, our conversations and how much he missed being with me and that he hoped that I was doing okay you know, just unbelievably manipulative garbage, and he married her that day. But the day that I found that out, and the day I found out that he married her, was the day that my freedom started. Now, that was the and that was the day that allowed me to start letting to to fully let go of him because he married her, you know, Um, there there went, there's no chance he's coming back to me. And also what a piece of shit. You know, (laughs) I I think that was kind of that last straw where I was like, God, he is trash. This man is trash. And that was the break that I had to have. And it was a brutal break. And I hope not everyone has to have a break like that, where it just feels like they're Whole entire insides have just been ripped in half. But it, that's what it took for me.
0: So, was there a part of you that said that could have been me? I could have still been in this terrible drama, uh, but my life isn't going to be this anymore. And obviously, this hit you like a ton of bricks or like a Mack truck hitting you. But, was I guess. I guess was there a bit of relief or does that not come until later knowing that the drama for this other person uh, will always be there for that person? So like, so eventually were you saying to yourself, Oh, thank goodness. Like I don't have to deal with that anymore.
1: Oh my God. Yes. I mean, as like the Mack truck analogy works with that too, because that Mack truck, when it hit me, it woke me the hell up and I realized, Oh, my God, this is the most manipulative, maniacal, coercive human being. I have this man's evil. There's nothing redeemable about this man. There's nothing good in this man. Anything good I saw was was false. It was a it was a false thing. And thank God he's not my problem anymore. And God love her because she blew her whole life up to be with him. She left her husband of 30 years. And, you know, I think about her sometimes and I think about the fact that, you know, she was duped just like I was duped. She was manipulated just like I was manipulated. She was used like I was used. I've had a lot of anger towards her. And I've, but I also do know that he bears probably 90% of that responsibility because when he, makes a decision that he wants a person he's going to do anything he can to get that person and he will I think he enjoys how far he can push a person to get what he wants if that makes sense like oh she's married well I wonder if I can make her leave her husband Ah, well I made her leave her husband I wonder if I can make her leave her children oh look at that I made her leave her children huh, I wonder if I can get her, you know what I mean? And it's a game I'm not engaged in any longer. You know, I mentioned having gone to uh, the beach and gone on vacation with my family. And I've done that a couple of times since all of that happened. And one thing that struck me was that my vacations are, are infinitely better without him. Yeah. He would make sure that every vacation got completely and totally destroyed. It's, it's nice not to have to be worried and afraid all the time about what somebody's if if they're mad about something or if they've I don't even know how to say it but it, it was just constant stress and constant drama and you know these last two times that I've gone on vacation have just been so beautiful peaceful I don't have to worry about anything other than myself. And that is that is just I I can't even express how liberating and how beautiful that is.
0: So before we uh, leave everyone today, what are your words of wisdom for your second time for everyone out there?
1: (laughs) So I think my words of wisdom probably would be pretty similar to what they were before, which is go to therapy. Go to therapy, talk this through, find a therapist who understands narcissistic abuse and what the recovery process is like, because my therapist does. And that has just been, you know, to just be validated and supported and listened to and believed is priceless. So go to therapy. If you have like disconnected to your from your friends through this relationship, reconnect with the people that, that you love, reconnect with your authentic self find the things that you used to enjoy and start doing them again and just start creating a life that you you love that makes all the difference.
0: So thank you Bell once again for being our guest on our show uh, a big 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 thank you and if you want to be a guest on our show like Bell was today please do go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. Please read all the instructions and either send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com Or fill out the guest form and press the submit button. Please read all of the instructions and send it to us in the format that we ask for. And we're always looking for new stories. So please do send in your stories. And if you need support, please do join our support group at narcissistapocalypse.com. Top of the page is the button that says support group. When you click on that button, it, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And there we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday nights, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We have forum boards for you to post on and for your peers, other survivors to answer you, validate your experience, and support you along the way. We have ad-free episodes and bonus episodes as well. So please do join our support group today. And also, if you need more support, please do go visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. So there, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are actually going through. It's a fantastic resource that is there. They have every phone number, email address, and website for uh, shelters and domestic violence agencies as well. So that's any town, big or small. Go to DomesticShelters.org. It's a great organization run by great people. Hello to Ashley from DomesticShelters.org. And that is it for today's show. So for myself and Belle, we hope you have a good night.